Hey, good morning. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration Church. Thanks for catching our stream and being part of Restoration Church Online. We'll start off with a real quick story with you. One of the first jobs that I ever worked was an outdoor warehouse where I was working outside pretty much all day. I was working with my hands, and I think I especially loved this job because I was lifting heavy things all day. Probably the most fit I've ever been in my life. But one day, I'll never forget, my boss comes to me and he gives me a cheap cordless drill, a box of security cameras, and he tells me he wants me to mount these cameras on the outside of the building. Now, I need to admit something to you. I am mechanically challenged, much to the dismay of my wife. Sure, I can swing a hammer and I can turn screws, but really, anything beyond that, I'm way outside of my depth. So at that point in time, I wasn't willing to admit that weakness of me, <laughs> but I did what any good millennial would do with lack of ability and lack of tools. I Googled it. And let me just say this was a recipe for disaster. The uh, project was just a complete failure. The cameras were so poorly mounted on the outside that someone came by a week later and stole the cameras from outside the building. But I think in large part, this project was a failure because I took this on myself. I felt the pressure to do good work. I felt the pressure to please my boss to, to do the best I could. And I thought in my head that working hard was going to make this a success. And I think this is something that we all kind of experience where we strive to do good work. We strive to be the best that we can be. We strive to be the best spouse, the best parent best employee, best student, best uh, whatever. We, we strive to do all of these things. We focus on what we're good at. We grow in those things. And I think this is partly why the self-help industry is so successful. Is we tell ourselves that uh, if we buy this book, we'll have seven steps to have a fulfilled life. And so we follow these steps and we think that we're living the best life now, but we're really not. And I think in a lot of ways, this desire to perform, this desire to work as hard as we can infiltrates itself into our own faith, where we think that I, if I just share my faith more, if I just do all of these things, if I go to church, if I read my Bible more, if I convert more people to Christ, then I'll grow in my faith. And let me just say, these are all good things that we should be doing in our faith. But I think a lot of times we put the importance on ourselves and not on something greater. And so that, I think this is where we find uh, the disciples in today's passage. Last week, Pastor Kevin was saying that Jesus is going to leave them. He talked about the coming persecution, but he told the disciples that they were going to have to stand up for their faith and probably thought that it would be difficult to live out their faith without Jesus for the first time in their lives. So Jesus leaving his disciples creates an opportunity for us and for them to live out our faith, to abide in Christ. But how do we actually live out our faith? How do we live in this world now? And it's through the Holy Spirit residing in us. So this is where we find our summer series, this uh, titled Last Words, taken from John 13 through 17, focusing on Jesus's last words with his disciples, recounting the last five hours he had with his disciples. Jesus knew that his that he would be arrested, that he would be killed, that he would be buried, that he would be resurrected, and that he would be ascended to heaven. And so he's telling his disciples these 
because he recognizes that they're going to be on their own for the first time in three years. And his words are designed to be a comfort to them, to bring them hope. And so today, the, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to abide in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The first thing we find, if you have your Bible open, is in verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. So Jesus is leaving and the Holy Spirit is coming. He's telling them that he's going away to prepare his disciples. But I think it's funny that every time that Jesus says that he's leaving, his disciples are filled with sorrow and dread. Look at verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But of course that they're filled with sorrow. Jesus has given them a hard word. He's telling them these things to bring them hope and comfort. And so while Jesus is leaving, he's not abandoning them, and he's telling them it's necessary that he goes for the Holy Spirit to come. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So the hard, it's a hard word for the disciples in that moment because they may not have seen any benefit from the coming of the Holy Spirit. They may have thought that for them to gain the Holy Spirit means that they lose Jesus. They thought this would be an end to his ministry, an end to everything that they knew. And especially in light of Jesus telling them that they're going to be hated, they're going to be rejected, they're going to be cast out in this world. And for the disciples, and I think for us, it's easy to immediately see what's in front of us. We can easily get stressed about our present circumstances, what's happening in our life, and we forget what God is ultimately going to do. But more specifically, I think that we forget what God is doing right now. Sometimes I think it's harder to see how the Holy Spirit is moving in our life and our world today. But really, simply, it's at our advantage for us to get the Holy Spirit because He indwells the lives and hearts of believers. It means that we have the power of God residing in us right now. But Jesus is explaining beyond the advantage. He's explaining how the Holy Spirit is going to work in our world and He's going to work in the lives of believers. First, we see how the Holy Spirit works in the world. Jesus says in verse 8, He will convict. This word convict means to expose or to convince. So the Holy Spirit exposes the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. All three of these are what the Holy Spirit did 2,000 years ago and what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. But as we approach verses 8 through 11, I want to paint this, this imagery for you. I find it really interesting that Jesus is using legal language here. And it's kind of like I'm watching my favorite courtroom drama. We have the judge presiding over the case. We have the prosecuting attorney. We have various witnesses brought in to testify their accounts, to testify what happened. And then we have the defendant. Now, we have different roles serving different unique purposes in this passage. But I want to highlight two specific roles here. We have the Holy Spirit, who's the prosecuting attorney, and we have the world, who is the guilty defendant and not the judge that it presumes to be. But throughout this trial, the Holy Spirit is building this case, pointing to Jesus, pointing to his completed work, and that is making the defendant guilty. And so he's bringing this indictment against the defendant. And I want to point out something important here. The Holy Spirit's indictment here doesn't bring condemnation as we would expect. It's an offer of salvation to an unbelieving world. 
And so he constantly does, he, he builds his case by pointing to the ministry of Jesus and all that the Holy Spirit does. He always brings the conversation back to Jesus. First, we might think that the sin here that Jesus is talking about are the individual sins that we commit every day. And it is certainly true that Romans 1 tells us that God's law have been written on our heart and so that both the law and our conscience bear witness and they build the case to condemn us for our sins. However, the sin that the Holy Spirit specifically exposes is the sin of unbelief in Jesus. We see him clarify in verse 9 concerning sin because they do not believe in me. See, the sin of unbelief proves one a sinner. It's not the individual sins that we find happening in our life that we find throughout Scripture. Basically, someone can fix their life, remove these habits, remove these things from their life, yet never come to have faith in Jesus. And so they are condemned simply for their unbelief in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit exposes or convinces the world of its unbelief by his power. And so if people don't know that they're sinners, they don't recognize their need for a Savior. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He exposes sin, bringing them to recognize their need for redemption. And we see many examples all throughout Scripture, all throughout the world, where the Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself, and people are saved in the process. It's important to say that no one is saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Second, we see that the Holy Spirit exposes righteousness. Concerning righteousness, verse 10, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. We would expect that the Holy Spirit would expose sin and unrighteousness here, but Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is exposing righteousness. It raises a question, why righteousness? I think it raises an even better question is, whose righteousness? And this is Jesus' righteousness, the perfect Lamb of God. So the Holy Spirit reveals the righteousness of Jesus. And in contrast, he exposes the world's unrighteousness and their need for righteousness. It's through revealing righteousness that we find that the Holy Spirit uses two witnesses to expose Jesus' righteousness. We find the Word and the life of the believer. Both bear witness to Christ's rule and reign. As the Word of God draws Christians to reflect righteousness in our world, the Holy Spirit uses that to expose people for their need for righteousness. Third, the Holy Spirit exposes judgment against devil. Concerning judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of the world is judged. Now, I want to point out something. Notice how this phrase is in present tense. It's not that the, uh, that the ruler was judged or the ru ruler will be judged. Uh, it says that the ruler is judged right now. And this was true of 2,000 years ago that the ruler was judged then and he's judged now. By what merit is he judged? He is judged by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which is going to happen in a matter of hours. So he is judged. He is defeated. He's waiting on his sentencing. And so there's some friction here. If Satan is judged presently, why is there so much evil in the world? Simply put, Satan is guilty, yet he's out on bail, causing as much damage as he can before his ultimate sentencing. Some days it feels like he's winning, 
but we know as believers that God is more powerful than him and that he is already defeated. He's already lost, and that's hope for us. But I want to come back to this courtroom analogy. You see, the Holy Spirit uses many different witnesses to testify about the work of Jesus. See, God created this world, and as such, he can operate in this world however he chooses. He, we, we've seen him work and perform miracles not only in Scripture, but in our world now. We see even that the law is a bears witness to Christ, bears witness to our sin, bears witness to what's happening. And so the Holy Spirit has multiple different witnesses that he uses to bear witness to Christ. But there's something profound for us today. Look back at John 15, 27, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit is calling us Christians to the stand to testify what Jesus has done in our lives. He does this by abiding and dwelling in the hearts of the believers, and we happen to live in the world. But here's the key for us. The Holy Spirit uses our lives to bear witness to Jesus. We are invited into this process. There's nothing that we have to do to do this. But through this process, we get front row seats to see people come to faith, to see people grow in their faith. And truthfully, one of my favorite things of being a pastor is to seeing people grow in their love for Jesus, seeing their people love, uh, grow in their love for others, and seeing the Holy Spirit just grow them in their faith. He doesn't need us to bear witness to Christ, but he uses us to build the case against the world. And through it all, we are invited into the process because he chose to dwell in our hearts and he chooses to draw people to himself through us. See, the beautiful thing about this, it's not our job to convince the world. It's not our job to convince the world of their unbelief, of their unrighteousness. It's not our job to convert people to Christ. It's not our job to save people. The Holy Spirit convinces the world of their unbelief by using our lives to bear witness to the truth and the glory of Christ. We only have to be faithful witnesses to what Christ has done in our life, what the power that we've seen in Christ, we have to stand up for that. We have to bear witness to what Christ has done in us. It does mean that we speak out against sin, but we're not responsible to win arguments. It does mean that we speak out against unrighteousness, but it's not our job to change people's minds. It means that the Holy Spirit is the one who changes the hearts and minds. And for us as believers, one of the ways that we bear witness to his power is to pray for loved ones, to constantly pray that the Lord would draw them to himself, that the Lord would constantly be changing and impacting our world around us. See, this is the power of the gospel. We abide in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he exposes the sin in people. People through their sin being exposed, they see their need for, for a Savior. They see the righteousness of Christ shining through us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads people to faith through us. We experience gospel power uh, by seeing people 
uh, come to faith. And we see the Holy Spirit abiding with his power in our lives. But for us, we need to constantly choose to allow ourselves to be used by the Holy Spirit. It means that we need to abide in God's power. Jesus not only tells us how the Holy Spirit works in the world, but he also, see, he also shows us how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers. If verses 8 and 11 were a courtroom, verses 12 through 15 are a classroom. See, the roles of the Holy Spirit change from prosecutor to teacher who guides us into all truth. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus, being the perfect teacher, knows that there are many truths he was unable to teach his disciples in his three years of ministry. He knew that we needed a different teacher to come for the rest of our lives, revealing deeper truths. And so for both the disciples and us, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth, which is how we see the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and it's through the Word of God. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And so the Holy Spirit is guiding us into all truth, which should lead us to the Word of God. And Scripture is clear. Jesus is truth, the Spirit is truth, and the Word of God is truth. It's through the Word of God we come to see who God is. We come to understand His character, His heart. We come to understand who we are. We come to understand how sin has impacted the world. We see how God operates in light of sin. We learn about his sovereignty. We learn about who Satan is, how he operates in the world, what his motives are. And we ultimately learn our outcome and his outcome through the word of God. And so I want to be clear here. The Holy Spirit speaks primarily to us through the word of God. And I want to say this, if we're not reading and abiding in the Word of God, we will not be able to discern and understand what is happening in our world. We're not able to grow in our love for Jesus. We're not able to grow in our love for others. And it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit never divorces the Word of God from Jesus. Both are essential in knowing truth, knowing Jesus. And so, Jesus, without the Word of God, becomes this political tool, a prop that we use to accomplish our own selfish agendas. We ultimately make Jesus in our own image if we divorce the Word of God from him. Conversely, if we have the Word of God without Jesus, we fall into legalism. Our life becomes full of rules. We strive to live out our faith by following these rules, by following these steps. The focus is on us, on our abilities, on what we can accomplish, and not on Jesus. So the Holy Spirit guides us into truth, understanding that we need both Jesus and the Word of God to understand and grow in truth. The Holy Spirit also uses the Word of God to grow us in love for Jesus. And so he illuminates the truths of Scripture because he is a teacher. He guides us into truth. And it's through the Word of God that we find the Holy Spirit's purpose on this world. His purpose is to constantly point people to Jesus. This is what we see in verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we find the Holy Spirit uses our lives and the Word of God to bear witness to Jesus. 
Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will glorify him. And to glorify simply means to make known. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus known in our world uh, through creation. We can look at the stars and we can see the wonder. The heavens declare the glory of God. They make God known and the Holy Spirit uses these things to make Christ known in our lives. It means that we as a result, we are to bear witness to what Christ has done in our lives, to the world, to our friends, to our family. We stand up for our faith based on what Christ has done at the cross and what Christ has done in our lives. And so knowing this, knowing that the Holy Spirit is working and moving in our lives, causes us to have hope and rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit is still working in our world, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. We are still called to bear witness to the glory of Jesus. And knowing that the Holy Spirit is still working in our lives means that he's still working in our churches, even though it may seem that he's not with us being closed. Many churches being closed in this season. It means that God hasn't forgotten us in the middle of COVID, that he still cares for us. Knowing that God is still at work allows us to abide in Jesus, trusting in his sovereign reign, that he's in control, that none of this surprises him. The Holy Spirit working in our world means that Jesus isn't done working in our hearts and our minds. It means that he will complete the salvation work he began in us. But as you think about your faith, I want to ask two questions today. Have you made yourself available to be used? If you haven't noticed, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have more opportunities now to live out our faith, to serve others, to love others, to care for others, and really to take a stand for Jesus. There are many in our world who are hurting, who are feeling the brokenness of sin in our world. And they, just as much as we, need the hope of Jesus now. So the world needs us to bear witness to Christ more than bear witness to ourselves more than bearing witness to our political ideologies, to bear witness to what Christ has done, not what we have done. So the world is watching us right now. Are you more concerned about being right than being righteous? See, being a witness for Christ starts with us making ourselves available, using what the Holy Spirit has already given us to love and to serve others. I was talking to a friend this week who chose and made a big mistake in his life. And this, this mistake was sinful. It had very dire consequences on his life as a result. But I found this conversation was encouraging and challenging, even though that wasn't his intent in telling me these things. He told me that he chooses not to be defined by his past, not to be defined by his sin, not be defined by how the world defines him. He chooses to live how Jesus defines him. And that's through him abiding in Jesus that the Holy Spirit has been redeeming his life, has been redeeming his brokenness, and he's been using him to bear witness to the greatness and the glory of God in his life. Honestly, this is one of the most serving people I know. He, I've really admired how he just constantly makes himself available to serve and to love others, using what God has done in his life, the redemption, to point people back to the glory of God. He chooses to allow his life to be a witness to Jesus and all that he says and all that he does. And he does this through the Holy Spirit residing in him. 
Are you making yourself available to be used by the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. I want you to pray right now that the Holy Spirit reveal opportunities for you to be used for his glory. I want you to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would expose the redemption that has happened in your life and use that to, uh, to bear witness to Christ. Once the Holy Spirit shows that to you, do it. Live it out. And the Holy Spirit will do tremendous work through you that you don't have to strive for. So the second question I have for you, are you abiding in the Spirit and in your identity in Christ? We've been talking about abiding these last four weeks, and it all comes back to John 15. Either we are abiding in Christ or we're not. We need to abide in the Holy Spirit for uh, opportunities, for the courage, the boldness to share and proclaim the hope that resides in you. We need the Holy Spirit to live out our identity that we have in Christ. You see, abiding in the Holy Spirit means that we also abide in Jesus as they are one. They are not divorced from each other. Abiding in Jesus means that we believe in him, that we trust him. This isn't a belief in a general sense, but trusting in his sovereignty, trusting that he's in control of your finances, trusting that he's in control of your health, trusting that he's in control of your life, trusting that he is in control and knows what's going to happen in our world tomorrow. Trusting in the sovereignty of God allows us to see that all things will be worked together for the good of those who love him. And so Jesus is working all things out. And so trusting in his sovereignty means that we aren't swayed by the chaos in the world, means that we aren't swayed by what's happening with coronavirus, means that we aren't swayed what's going to be happening in our country as a result. Trusting in the sovereignty of God is the antidote to our fear, to our sorrow, to our concerns. But trusting in his sovereignty is, is just trusting that he is good, um, that we remember that Jesus isn't abandoning us, and he sent his spirit to abide in our hearts. You see, I have another good friend, and the Holy Spirit used his life in profound ways to challenge me to abide in the word of God more, to abide in God's sovereignty. He's told me that in the worst part of his life, in the darkest part of his life, he was in prison, and God placed him there, and that God was working on his heart. And in the time where you would think that he would be the most confused, where he would be uh, experiencing life the hardest, he told me, he said, I read my Bible every day. And he said that as he, as, he, as he was reading his Bible, he found clarity. He understood he had peace, even though he was not living in a peaceful situation. And this challenged me because I thought to myself, I'm not prioritizing the word of God as I should. And when I make the word of God a priority, when I abide in that, I find the same thing that my friend found. I found clarity. I found peace in a confusing and a broken world. And it pushes out all of my confusion. It pushes out all of the anger that I have towards people who've wronged me. And it forces me to forgive people the way that Christ has forgiven me and the way that Christ has forgiven others. But when the more that I abide in the Word of God, the more that I find that the Holy Spirit is working and moving in my life and the lives of others and in this world. So are you abiding in your identity in Christ?
If the answer is no, I want to challenge you to make being in the Word of God a priority this week. I learned the hard way that if something isn't in the calendar, it doesn't happen. So take out your calendar right now on your phone and set aside 20 minutes a day to be in the Word of God. And then next week, repeat that process. And over time, you'll find that the more that you abide in the word of God allows you to grow in Christ, allows you to rest in his power. So Restoration Church, rest in the work of the Holy Spirit. Let us rest and abide in Christ this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are working, that you are moving in our world, that you care for us, that you love us. God, I pray that you would not be uh, allowing us to strive to live out our faith, that we wouldn't be striving to do these things by our own merits, by our own abilities. God, I pray that we would just rest in your power, recognizing that you are doing the work in our world, you are doing the work in our lives, but may we not be lazy and only allow you to do the work. May we see our responsibility to, to live out our faith, to stand up and bear witness to Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be bringing to mind all of the ways that you have redeemed us, all of the ways that you have shown your love for us. God, I pray that we would just learn to trust and abide in your sovereign rule and reign. God, I pray that you would be blessing us this week, that you would be giving us uh, the hope and reminding us of the hope that we have in you. God, we love you and we praise you and glorify you. In your name, Father, amen.